Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. How do I do that? Well, it happens as I keep my hope and my eyes fixed on Jesus. I study the scriptures. I don't keep my hope on Moses. I don't keep my hope on a pastor. I don't keep my eyes on a church. I keep my eyes on Jesus. If you keep your eyes and your hope, and it's on me, or Calvary Chapel, or your church, wherever you're from, or your pastor, you're in trouble. Because a church is not perfect, I'm not perfect. You want to keep your eyes on Jesus. At times, Christianity can be difficult. You have the Bible and the Holy Spirit, so it should be easy, right? But when the rubber meets the road of life, there tends to be more gray areas than you thought were possible. Well, Pastor Mark will be teaching today about how to live out your Christian life. You'll hear about the struggle the believers in the book of Hebrews had and that they're not much different than yours. You'll learn the solution the Bible offers and that pleasing God isn't as hard as you might think. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in Hebrews chapter 3 as he continues his message, We Are God's House. Circle this in your Bible. If we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. You know the verse, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's house or his temple? God lives in you. The spirit lives in you. Let me give you three keys initially. Number one. What can I take from this? What should I, what should I be thinking about? Well, number one, know that God lives inside every Christ follower. When you ask God to come into your house, you really didn't say house. You probably said your life, your temple. You never said temple. We don't talk like that, but he did on our invitation. God came to live in our body, in our temple, in his house. Now, when he came to live, it no longer was my house. It became his house. I no longer own this house. It's his house. He's the owner. He's the boss. He's the director. That should say a lot to us. So God's in the process of building this house. Your house. Every one of us were being built in the image of God. Number two, not only do I need to know this key, but number two, I need to allow God 
to be Lord over his house. It's not mine anymore. Can't do my will. Have to do his will. Can't go back and be the boss. I can't rule the house. I'm simply a resident in this house, even though it's my house. But it's not my house. It's his house. Understand, in the Old Testament, Moses built this physical temple. Really started as a tent, later became a tabernacle, and then this great physical building. God came, he came and filled the tent, then later filled the temple with his presence. What about you and I? Jesus, when he comes in, it's not a physical building, it's not a tent. We're lively stones. He came to live in a live person, you and I. What about the filling of his presence? In the Old Testament, he came in and the presence of the Lord just filled the temple. It just was wonderful. Well, does God fill your temple? That's what being filled with the Spirit's all about. He comes in and he just fills us. Ephesians 5.18. I don't have time there to go tonight, but... I've been thinking about that and studying it. And when we're filled, we're filled to overflowing. We're saturated with God. And when people squeeze us, what's supposed to come out of us? God's supposed to come out of us. But very often when they squeeze us, what comes out of us? Mark Balmer comes out of us. How many know you'd rather have God coming out of me than Mark Ballmer? My wife's raising both hands back there like this. We're no different than any of you. So I have the privilege of not walking into a physical building and understand what I'm going to say to you in a moment. I have the privilege of not walking into a physical building and wonder, wonder if the presence of God's here. Is it, is it going to come down? No, the presence of God is here filling me right now to overflowing. That's unbelievable. And let me give you a little mature key. Before long, there'll be some other neat revival quotes that will start in the body of Christ. Somewhere. All of a sudden, God's presence come. It could be real or it very often usually is not. So what do we do today? What do immature people do? They run to where? Where, where's the presence of God flowing? Is it in Tallahassee? Is it Kansas? Is it in Toronto? Is it in Europe? Is it in England? No, the presence of God's flowing right here. Right here. Right, right here. Me? Why do I need to travel there? I have it right here. All I need right here. Be careful. Because this is what the body of Christ does. <laughs> Looking for the presence. It's not Old Testament anymore, guys. It's New Testament. It's right here. It's in you. Now, it doesn't mean... Can't go to a church and we feel the presence of God and things happening, revivals taking place, because that does happen. But just be careful you're not a person that chases around the world looking for the presence of God. It's in your life right now. Ask Him to fill you, to saturate you. Notice this verse that we read earlier, because this reminds us how much of a process it is. You like living stones. By the way, are you living out there... Yes, you're breathing, you're living. You are being built. What does that signify? I have not arrived. We are a work in progress. We are being built into a spiritual house. A holy priesthood. Sometimes I'm not holy. Sometimes you're not holy. 
So by coming into our lives, we became alive spiritually. That's why we're called living stones. But God isn't finished with this house yet. By the way, he'll never be finished with it. When I do premarital, and I do some of those, I always say to the couple, I always remind them in chapter 2 of the premarital counseling book, it says, if you can learn to be flexible, and if you can love to learn, and you like change, then you'll love marriage. <laughs> Those of you who have been married more than a month, can you say that that's true? If you've been married more than 40 years, would you say that's true? I'm raising my hand, and some of the rest of you are, absolutely. Do we still change? Absolutely. you got to be teachable. you got to work through it. It's just there. We're still, a, as married couples, that many years, we're a work in progress. As a Christian, when will you arrive? When he removes you from the earth is when we finally arrive. Till then, we're still this wonderful work in progress. So, because of this, the writer says two things. Courage and hope are essential in our life. That's number three. We need to hold on to our courage and our hope. Notice in verse 6, the last part of verse 6, it says, If, if, God wants us to become more and more like Him, but I have something to do with it. God doesn't work on my house without my approval. He works in coordination with me. How do I do that? Well, it happens as I keep my hope and my eyes fixed on Jesus. I study the scriptures. I don't keep my hope on Moses. I don't keep my hope on a pastor. I don't keep my eyes on a church. I keep my eyes on Jesus. If you keep your eyes and your hope, and it's on me, or Calvary Chapel, or your church, wherever you're from, or your pastor, you're in trouble. Because a church is not perfect, I'm not perfect. You want to keep your eyes on Jesus. You can't lift up a man. I mean, we try to do well, and we're doing well, and I try to be a good pastor. But I'm not a perfect pastor. So you want to focus your eyes on Jesus. Now, how can I have hope? I can have hope in any circumstance for one reason, because God is faithful. God is never going to fail me. He's never going to leave me. Romans 8, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can separate me. I simply have hope that it's absolutely going to take place. I can be courageous in a hostile world. Now, it's nothing for us to be courageous compared to what it was for this little home group who are watching their friends being thrown to the lions in the arena of Nero. Now, that's courage, and that's hope. But even in this hostile world, I have to play a part to keep his house clean and in order. He'll challenge me, but I have to allow him to do that. And then I have to do my part. Now turn to Matthew chapter 7. We'll be back to this other in a moment, really quickly. You still with me? Okay, we got a lot more to go through here quickly. Here we go. By the way, John 15.3 says you're already clean through the word. So how does this little house, just think of your little house. We did this in staff today. You can think of your yard, your little home you have or apartment or whatever. And the outside, the grass is 
really tall and there's weeds everywhere and you, the flowers haven't been watered and whatever and you haven't mowed the yard. Or you can just think of your own little house. If you walk inside the house, if somebody came in and they rubbed their finger in a certain place and they could find dust all over the place, you probably plant a plant over in that corner or whatever because there's enough dirt over there and stuff. Just Just think of your house. And it needs to be clean, it needs to be neat, it needs to be whatever. Just think of that spiritually. Use whatever application you want as you go through. In Matthew 7, we have this parable that you know very well, but it talks about my part and keeping the house clean. God's going to speak to me, but I have to do my part. Notice, therefore, everyone hears these words of mine, puts them into practice like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house in sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, all of this relates to, notice it starts with therefore. Why does it start with therefore? Because it relates back to this. People say, I'm a Christian. God lives in my house. I'm, man, I'm a lively stone tonight, Pastor Mark, but I never obey the Word of God. Well, notice, not everyone who says to me, Matthew seven twenty one, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of the Father. So you could say whatever you like. God lives in me. I'm the temple of God. It's a wonderful thing. And God comes and says, uh, who's the owner of the house here? Well, you are God. Well, why don't you obey my word? Well, I... Well, no, then I'm not the owner of the house. You say I live in you? Was there really a conversion? If there's really going to be a conversion, then you're going to do the will of the Father. So these are very important things, and I don't have time to go into them deeply, but just understand this. I'm in the process of working with God as he builds my house. The architect is God. These are the plans. This is how God builds my life. This is how God cleans my life. I'm clean, John 15, through the Word. This is how God comes and mows my yard spiritually. This is how He speaks to me. He speaks to me through the Word. He's speaking to all of us here. And so as He does this, we want to remind ourselves of two little keys here. If my foundation is sandy, it simply means I'm hearing. God is always speaking to us, but I'm not obeying. That's dangerous because the end result's not good. John 8, 31, to the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching. You see, if is part my part. It's conditional. God will do this if. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, in other words, if you obey it, if you live in it, if you work through it, then you're really my disciples. And if that happens, what's the result of my house? Well, my house will be clean in a physical way, in a spiritual way. But really, then you will know the truth and the truth will set me free. The house will be full of life. But if I'm not, if I'm, I'm not obeying, it's disobedience. And I'm not holding to the word and I can't call myself a disciple. And he's not at work in my house. Because it's actually my house, and it's not his. The opposite is the rock foundation. Hearing and obeying God. That's obedience. Now, sometimes God comes to our house, and he has to clean the temple a little bit. You remember this weekend, we talked about Jesus coming into the temple and throwing over the tables. He He just turned them over. Do you know that sometimes God has to come into 
our temple and just turn a few tables over. Kind of painful, isn't it? Kind of rearranges things. And we go, what are you doing, God? He says, getting it right. And beautiful, because when he does this, he does it with truth. And he does it gently and faithfully. But do you know what I've discovered in my life? This is why I want to share with you. You need to be encouraged. Let's picture Jesus coming in and cleaning that whole temple courtyard, which he did twice. Let's move ahead 30 days after Jesus died. If you went back to the temple that he had cleaned 30 days before, 40 some days before, what do you think the temple looked like? Did it stay clean? They were back doing what? Same old stuff. Because he did it three years before and they're back doing what? Same old stuff. Have you ever noticed in your life that God comes in, kind of turns the tables over a little bit and cleans us up and we feel pretty good? In two weeks, we're back to our old habits, aren't we? And he has to come in and do what? Clean them again. Is anybody relating to me out there at all? He doesn't condemn us. He just comes in and cleans them again. But there's another condition. He says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. If. So I have to abide in his word. And then when he cleans and turns it upside down and mows the yard and fixes me up, I have to continue to operate with him. And when I don't, he knows that I'm this way and he cleans me up again and gets my attitude right, my actions right again, and and my habits get back in order, and God's faithful. That's why you and I are still a work in progress. It's not an excuse. That's why I can't be condemning to you. Because he's still sweeping a little bit in my life. How about you? Any dust coming out of you? The goal is to have a temple that shines brightly in a dark world. See, he brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. He isn't here anymore. We're the light of the world. But if my yard looks like nobody lives there or has been on vacation for six months, if I go inside the house... Who would want to buy the house? Who would want to even visit the house? But if the yard is taken care of, the house is clean, it's livable. Corinthians talks about a sweet smell of joy and peace. Then people want to be into our life. They want to relate to us. So that's what God wants to do. I want to end with three questions. Number one, is God living in your house? In a moment, we're just going to pray. There probably are some of you that have never, ever asked Jesus Christ to come in and be the Lord of your life. Not this salvation by a fire extinguisher so you don't go to hell, but actually be the Lord of your house and give you forgiveness and joy and peace. In a moment, I'm going to pray for you. Just have you raise your hand, we'll pray for you. Ask if you, you'd like to leave this building tonight, not running your life anymore, but God has come in. 
You say, well, how does that work? Revelation 3.20 says, Jesus stands at the door of our heart, and if I'll open the door, he'll come in. He never barges in. He only goes where he's welcomed. You have to invite him. I'll give you a chance. Second, this is for those of us that are believers, is God at home in his house? Is God comfortable with what he sees that's taken place in his house. And number three, have you turned over every area of his house to his care? Is an area of your house, there's a great little thing you can just get online and read a, something called My Heart Christ Home. Many of you know that for, I didn't have time to go into it, but it's a wonderful thing. My Heart Christ Home, Robert Boyd Munger. He talks about the study, the dining room, the living room, the workroom, the rec room, and the hall closet. See, sometimes God comes in, but we say to God, "Uh, you can't go to the rec room. Now, we would never say that to God. We just don't let him go to the rec room. When he says, I'd like to go to the rec room, we just, let's change the subject. How'd the front room look? But God wants to go to the rec room. He wants to go there. Sometimes in the study room, God wants to be there. Here's what God would say to you in the study room. What have you been studying recently? What books you reading? What television shows you're looking at? How often you've been in my word versus somebody else's word? Are you ever in my word? That's the study room. Well, God, you know, I don't have time to, and I have time to read the newspaper and do this and my favorite magazines and my favorite shows, but your word, well, that, that takes discipline. Yeah, he, that's what he says. So see, every part of our life, he wants to rule. And I can't talk about your room in your house because I have to let him into every room in my house. Now, why wouldn't I want to let him in? Well, for one thing, it's going to cause a little change in my life. I still like to kind of think I'm ruling my house. How about you? I'm not. I tried it. It was miserable. Why not turn it over to him? So just think of those three questions especially those of you that are Christians, is God happy in your house? Is he happy with what he sees? Are you faithful? Are you full of hope? Are you persevering? Are you excited that God's in your house? You see, sometimes people that are Christians aren't excited that God's in the house. Man, God's here. It's really tough. What's up with that? I mean, we should be excited he's there. Amen? I mean, he knows how to clean house. If there's an area in your life you haven't turned over to, just say to God, just have me. When I had the open heart, they just just opened you up. Just do that spiritually to God. God, every part of me you have access to. My mind, my thought, my action, it's yours. Do whatever you need to get me in line, because that's where I'm useful. Pastor Mark taught today about the importance of hanging on to your belief in Jesus. In addition to that, you learned that you became a dwelling place for God through the Holy Spirit. And Pastor Mark reminded you that you can't do life alone. You need your brothers and sisters in Christ. All of you together are the temple of God and need to work together to make that temple strong. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. We have multiple campuses to reach those living in Melbourne, Sebastian and Vieira. 
All campuses meet each weekend and on Wednesdays to spend time collectively raising our voices in worship to our Most High God and studying the truth and blessings found in His Word. For more information, directions, and service times, visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and click on the church link at the bottom of the page. This winds up Pastor Mark's message, We Are God's House. Next time, he'll begin a new study called Don't Turn Away From God. You'll hear about the importance of listening to God, and even more important is to do what God's telling you to do. You'll hear about the different ways that God can speak to you and how you can keep from being tricked by the devil. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living, and together, let's do life right. See